We're in the Me Too generation, so we have to be very gentle. You wouldn't have your job if you weren't beautiful. It's very sad. I wouldn't choose to be alone with him. This is a journey. Love tweeted Saturday saying, although I wasn't one of his victims, I was eternally banned by CAA for speaking out against Harvey Weinstein. New dimension, new value. For years, men have been getting a whole pizza delivered to them every day, and now women just want half of the pizza, and men are like, what? Why the fuck am I getting half a pizza all of a sudden? There seems to be, seems to be vital signs of people rushing to take offence to catcalling and wolf whistling. Now, the only people who are taking offence to this are extreme feminists. It's a genius thing that the patriarchy have done. They have made gender-based violence a thing that women deal with. And it's not their problem, it's men's problem. Please, sir, would you mind saying that again? One day I saw a guy trying to take a picture of my skirt. I was getting out of a car with bags and a dog. I didn't actually realise until the picture was in the paper. Someone printed this shit. This sort of behaviour, we have to adopt a zero tolerance policy. I think the world's gone mad. Somebody brushed your knee 15 years ago. This is complete nonsense. Now, it's not doing the reputation of Parliament any good. And I can't believe that women are being so wimpish these days. Oh, my God. Feminism is not about females being powerful, it's about redressing a balance and it's about equality and feminism is a very necessary thing for young men to have and if you want to know, if you think you're a feminist, let a woman pay for your dinner and see how you feel about that. If you're cool with that, you're a feminist. If you're not, you need to look at yourself. From Irish Men Abroad Podcasts, this is Men Behaving Better, a podcast about male improvement with me, Jarlath Regan. We're departing from our usual live panel show format for a while. You, you know why. We don't need to really go into why we're not gathering in a large crowd and recording panel show episodes of this show. We're going one on one for a while. If you're alive in 2020, you know why. Go back and listen to the live shows with Sarah Pascoe, Brett Goldstein, Fern Brady, Laura Whitmore, Roisin Conaty and many more. Those are all great fun. Big kind of rowdy, joyous experiences. But with the one on one, I think we get the chance to get into what season two of this show is meant to be all about. The atomic level behavioral changes that all men can make or struggle to make, no matter what you're into what your relationship status or where you're living or what you come from, what your background is. There's things we'd all like to not do anymore. And we know what they are, by and large. But it's hard to talk about them, particularly hard to talk about them in front of a large group of people who are laughing, hooting and hollering throughout your conversation. So in many ways, the one on one change that we're making now is about right. It's the right time to do it. If you want to hear the full conversation with Ramesh and all of our extended cuts of all our episodes, go to patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad. You'll get access to hundreds more episodes not available anywhere else, including Chris O'Dowd, Sharon Horgan, Gabriel Byrne, Sir Bob Geldof, Boy George and Dermot O'Leary, just to name a few. Season two. Here we are. Episode two with Ramesh Ranganathan. He doesn't need much of an introduction. If you're listening to this, you know well who Ramesh is. He's a stand up writer presenter and star of shows like Live at the Apollo, Asian Provocateur, uh, The Reluctant Landlord, It's Not Rocket Science, Anthony Joshua versus Rob and Ramesh, Ramesh talking to comedians, Just Another Immigrant. I mean, this list could go on. I haven't even mentioned Judge Ramesh, one of my favourites, but uh, he is... Uh, one of the hardest working, working men in entertainment, no question about it. His podcast, Hip Hop Saved My Life, to my mind, is a must listen. If you subscribe to another podcast today, subscribe to that. His book, Straight Out of Crawley, I'm looking at it on the shelf here. It's one of those rare things, a really funny, heartfelt autobiography about comedy, love, life and loss. I absolutely adore that book. And he's also an exceptionally nice man, despite what the stage persona may suggest. I hope you enjoy it. It's the Ramesh Ranganathan episode of Men Behaving Better. Ramesh Ranganathan, it's great to have you on Men Behaving Better. I thought the best thing to talk about or to start talking about today is something that a lot of men feel and a lot of guys talk to me about. And it's that sense when you're walking around as a father, as a husband, and just as a guy moving through the world, that you're an imposter, imposter syndrome, the sense that I'm not really 
qualified to do this. Let's see if anybody finds me out. Sometimes I feel like you're saying that for comedic effect. And other times when I hear some of the stories, such as uh, losing a child on Brighton Beach, yeah. you, you, you genuinely do feel this way, which is it? Uh- yeah, I do genuinely feel that way. I mean, I, I, I feel that way professionally. I feel that way as a husband. I feel that way as a father. I feel that way when I'm trying to complain about something or when I'm dealing with a builder or whatever. I just completely, I, I feel like I'm playing at it all, you know. And as you know, as a dad and a husband, there's so many decisions you have to make and there's so many things you have to do. And it feels like there's pressure on those decisions. And... In terms of, you know, I think on a day-to-day basis, we make, what, a hundred judgment calls on what to do with our kids, you know, in terms of different conversations and whether to let them do this or not, not let them do that. And all of that time, I'm, I'm conscious of the fact that I don't really feel like I know what I'm doing. Mm. And so I do, the, the problem with that is, is it's not conducive to doing your best. And I think if you're constantly second-guessing yourself and you let the imposter syndrome come to the forefront of your mind... I think you start operating less well than you should. And so I, my sort of strategy for it is to be aware that I will feel like that. And sometimes, like everybody, I feel like that more sometimes than, than others. And just accept that that's how I'm going to feel. And just try and, um, pu- like, I guess, push it to the back of my mind or come up with a coping strategy or just be a bit kinder to myself. I think my problem is that I have that as with a lot of people, and particularly people that suffer with imposter syndrome you have that inner bastard that's living in your head kind of just heckling you and talking about how shit you've done this or or that and i found actually being a bit better about having that voice having a kind voice talk to you and being conscious about trying to be nicer to yourself about how you're doing we're not going to get all these things right but nobody gets everything right and it's just a, a bit about just being a bit gentler with yourself. And I think that that is really helpful for mental health and stuff because you can get yourself into a a right state about it, man. And I often do. You know, you said a mouthful there because there's there's two things. First of all, the inner bastard is one thing that I really want to get to with you because I feel like uh, self-doubt in a lot of comics and creatives is Mm. something that you feel and maybe rightly so has driven you to your best work that yeah. if if I wasn't going not not good enough I'm cutting that I'm deleting that or I'm editing that from the text of the book or the song then you know, you didn't hold yourself to these standards essentially but then the other side uh, of what you said there about imposter syndrome is understanding that others feel that way too and I think it's a kind of a cliche nearly in stand up understanding that your parents hadn't a fucking notion what they were doing either but they yeah. weren't riddled with the idea that oh I've got to be the best parent ever <laughs> our parents had a a, compl- a much more uh, let the chips fall where they may with their kids attitude was that the example that you were growing up with well my my mum and dad had a lot of problems when we were growing up in terms of their relationship and my dad fell on hard times he ended up going to prison and 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 he wanted to for a while he wanted to leave the family he was seeing another woman and i think he never said this to me explicitly i'm pretty sure he did tell my mum that his his long-term goal was to leave our family and set up with this other person so you have those feelings of you know, there's all those complications that come with that in terms of your feelings for your dad and and how you feel he feels about you but my mum was just you know my mum was a hero and still is a hero to me she completely just wrote you know if you think about it a woman that came over from Sri Lanka at 19 years old to live with her husband and then it and then they fell into difficulties she she didn't really have any qualifications that relationship fell apart or uh, I mean they they reconciled later on but she was struggling through all of that we ended up living in a bed and breakfast for ages my dad had gone he ended up in prison and she was bringing us up on her own I mean I'm sort of rattling through this I'm just trying Mm. to 
to get across the, the picture. And she just dealt with all of that like a trooper, man, like an absolute hero. And, nev- and you know, I did see her upset. You know, that it, it, I, I would be lying to say that she never let on to us how tough she was finding it. But she brought us up despite all of those difficulties. And I, and I look at her and I think to myself, Matt, like, that's somebody who was completely dedicated to bringing us up. And I don't know if I could have done on that, in regards to you know your question about they, they they seem to have an attitude a bit more of let the chips fall where they may. I, I do agree with that. I just think that as time moves on, we have become more conscious of hang ups that can, that can be given to children from from parenting. You know, I, I think of I've got a lot of body issues, and as much as I love my mum, a lot of those body issues have come from the way she, she talked to me when I was growing up. You know, and so. There's all of those things, and I think to myself, well, shit, I don't want to do that to my kids. The truth of it is, Giles, I mean, I don't want to upset. I, I know that you're a very considerate and caring guy, but we are, our kids are going to have hang-ups from certain shit that we do. Do you know what I mean? Regardless of how hard we try, there's yeah. going to be some conversation that we've had that they're going to be talking to a mate about that is the reason why they behave a certain way. You just have to accept that. You're not. None of our kids are going to come up with a completely spotless record in yeah. terms of us fucking them up slightly, you know? So it's just one of those things where you, you got to go, well, I'm trying to make my best choices in the circumstances that I find myself in and just hope for the best. And, you know, I think we, I think the truth is we can get a little bit too caught up with, with the effects that we're having on our children. Like you said, generation after generation have not had the type of uh, anxiety and neuroses that we have about bringing up our kids and uh it's been all right you know so um so i think we just sort of have to cut ourselves a bit of slack you know the blind spots that you mentioned there that like yeah. you can't cover everything and that you know as much as i try with mikey i'm i i get that like i'm not i'm neglecting something like i probably don't I don't rough house <laughs> is that is that yes. the way i don't yeah. i don't grab him in a headlock or, uh, you know, hit him a dig the the way a lot of dads think, you know, you got to toughen him up a little bit. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, I definitely think that that is a blind spot for for him in that I've watched him be pushed to the floor by other kids and look around with his hands up as if, you know, ref, are you not going to call this? <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm just going, yeah. oh, Mike, you've got to punch him back. You've got to wrestle that kid down. I mean, his example is like, it's so strange. I always find it so fucking weird when I hear someone ask him, what does your dad do? And he says, he makes podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Like, you know, like he's a baker. <laughs> yeah. He makes fun. He tells jokes. That's what he does. Yeah. It's it it is the the framework and the prism through which he understands masculinity and men. Yeah. Yours was of a dad who made some choices that you know uh, society would say those were neglectful or selfish decisions and you've said many times that you don't view your dad as a bad dad overall but but those decisions that he made like to see another woman must have affected you must have an impact on you as to how you view men in general and maybe yourself as someone who's member of that club am I right in saying that? Yeah I mean my my I remember I have a conscious feeling of of looking at my mum and looking at my dad's treatment of her, I guess, and thinking to myself, I don't ever want to do that to anybody, or I don't ever mm. want to make anybody feel like that. And and I, you know, and obviously, selfishly, you think about yourself as a son, and you think you feel that sense of rejection from your dad is is horrible, you know. And uh, a lot of people go through that, and. And that was difficult. And so you think to yourself, well, I want to, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that. And I want to be a better dad. And I want to, to meet all of those, all of the things that I perceive to be failings of my dad as a, as a husband and father. I want to try and avoid those pitfalls. But I wouldn't say that I've been a hundred percent successful in that. You know, I think sometimes about my work life balance and I think to myself, I'm probably away more than I'd like to be. 
I mean, but then I've, I've, I've recognised that and I've addressed that now. And maybe I wouldn't have done had I not gone through the experiences I'd gone through, you know. So, so you don't know, you know, there's no control, there's no control variable that I'm comparing myself against to figure out how it's affected me. But I do take my role as a father and a husband incredibly seriously. And I think it probably magnifies where I think I'm fucking up a bit more, I guess. You know I mean, I'd probably beat myself up a bit more about it than otherwise would have done. Well, let's go back to, uh, you know, something that's really close to your heart and yeah. uh, something that I grew up with, too, that really f- formulated a toxic view of women in me that I wasn't even aware of at the yeah. time. But I am now and I'm sure you're you, you know where I'm going with this. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 90s hip hop. And <laughs> <laughs> it's a real dark chapter yeah. in terms of the absolute acceptability of language and imagery and positioning of women. And like, I mean, I dug out a diary from that time where I'm trying to talk in some kind of street. And I mean, truly, I had to burn it on the spot because I mean, it was it was like it's kind of night and day versus now. But then on the other hand, it's it's not like uh, on your podcast, Hip Hop Saved My Life, which I thoroughly recommend people listen to if they don't already. It's the first thing that comes up when you ask the question, if you have any problem with hip hop, it's the language yes. and stuff that's used. Yeah. I know it impacted me. I know it yeah. did. I know that watching those videos and consuming the movies and the culture around it. I was completely obsessed with it, affected yeah. me and I had to unlearn a lot of it and I maybe haven't unlearned a lot of it. How yeah. how do you feel about all that looking back and well, how negatively did it affect you at the time? Well, I, I, I agree with you. I think that I listened to hip hop growing up wanting to be those guys, mm. you know, wanting to be, want, I wanted to dress like them and I did try to in my own <laughs> crawly way. You know, I wanted to dress like them. I wanted to act like them. I wanted to talk like them. And with that comes, like you say, there there was a a prevalence of misogyny in hip hop. And like you said, you know, all of the people that we talked to on on, on our podcast, they come, a a lot of them have the come from a certain generation that where that hip hop was the most prevalent. And arguably, you know, it still is in the, the forefront of a lot of hip hop. There's a lot of arguments we can, you know, there's a lot of discussions to be had about why that's the case. I mean, mm. NWA came out with Straight Out Compton and then record labels started gravitating towards that sort of hip hop. And there's, an, you know, there's lots of arguments about, well, if you're struggling and you're trying to get a record deal and you know that's what make people, that's what can get you signed, then that's what you're going to start talking about. And, you know, record labels were the gatekeepers probably more so than they are now of what we hear mm. and so you know there's lots of arguments about the 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 politics of all of that but without getting too deep into that in answer to your question i do think you're right i mean i remember a girl i remember writing a letter to a girl and Uh-oh. as i as i as i describe i mean i'm not i can't even remember exactly what i said but my arsehole is tightening up as i think about that better <laughs> because it's just so fucking embarrassing <laughs> our hip-hop and dismissive of this girl I was trying it was just oh, it was fucking unacceptable man like if I'd have been if I'd have been that guy that girl's dad <laughs> I would have come around to my house and beaten the shit out of me <laughs> I mean it was insane and, and, and that ki- that came from there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that came from me trying to be like a rapper do you mm. know what I mean like that is the truth of it and so I totally agree with you. I, I, I totally agree with you. And then, you know, going back to your earlier point of, I, I, I sometimes think I've gone completely the other way because I'm just like you in that regard of, I don't really rough house with my kids. I do a little bit, but I don't, a lot of my friends talk about how they've got their kids doing, they really want their kids to be able to defend themselves or whatever. That is so low down on my list <laughs> of things that I've got as an aspiration for my kids. Yet, if I hear that they're being shoved around, I'm like, well, why didn't you do anything back? And you go, if my kids could articulate, they'll go, well, you have given me none of the tools required, <laughs> the actions that you want me to take. So yeah. I don't know what you want from me here, you know. But um, I totally agree with you. I, I, I think that 
you cannot help, particularly at that time of life. And, and if you think about it, at that time of life, my dad was in and out of my life. So, mm. you, you know, that has an effect as well. I was trying to emulate that kind of attitude towards women and, and I've totally gone the other, I mean, I'd like to think I've gone completely the other way, but who knows? Well, let's know. talk about that because I know the change that happened in me was slow and yeah. it was like, it was, and I always think of it more like when people talk about the pendulum, I'm much more in, happy with the metaphor of soil erosion (laughs) 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 because the tide chips away at the at this thing and you know i can pinpoint kind of moments where you're like oh no the the bitches and hoes is not an acceptable term yeah (laughs) yeah use one or the other come on guys (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, uh, do you remember the change coming in you or uh, and how recent was it? Like when when did you cop on? Like when did you wake up a little bit? I remember even when I was doing like even when I was doing my A-levels, I was such a prick, man. Like I, I, I sort of think about. I don't know. I think a lot of boys have this when they get to a certain age that they want to be seen to be cool in front of their mates. And the way that they do that is by being, pretending they don't give a shit about girls or something. And I think hip hop sort of accelerated that in me. And I, I, I wasn't going around being an arsehole, but my attitude wasn't right. And I remember being at uni and thinking, and it sort of changed. I'll be honest with you, this sounds really horrible, but actually my low self-esteem kind of helped because I realised that I really liked girls and I really wanted them to like me. <laughs> and so that wasn't conducive to me being horrible. To them, <laughs> yeah. Def- definitely the first girlfriend is is a turning point as yeah. I, I remember it. And yeah. now, there's an awful lot in your book about how unsuccessful you were with women for an awful long time. And I'm, yeah, I in have case, been throughout my life. I mean, there's no, there's no change there. That, there's been no change there. So, so you, you cop on to the idea that actually being dismissive of them and actually kind of being kind and respectful to them works an awful lot better. That, yeah. that, that twigs, right, it, it, at university. Yes, absolutely, yeah. I, I, I would say there's a limit because I went through a phase of being so desperate to be in a relationship or have a, a girlfriend of any sort that um i became kind of uh, have you ever i don't know if you've been you strike me as a, a lot cooler than this but have you ever been annoyingly needy oh uh, forget it yeah no i thought that that was attractive to, to women <laughs> <laughs> oh it oh it turns out that girls don't really like to feel like that they're the only thing that's going on in your life and you don't <laughs> fall apart if they walked away oh that's not an attractive thing yeah. okay cool 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 it's, it's cool. millhouse from the simpsons essentially <laughs> yeah, that's exactly <laughs> but i really really like you i can drop all my hobbies i can stop doing anything else honestly i can devote myself to you completely <laughs> yeah. oh oh that's one of the most unattractive things you've ever heard okay cool <laughs> The honesty about this subject, particularly in the book, like the book itself must be odd, right? It must be really odd. First of all, committing it to paper mm. and knowing that this is going to sit on a shelf in <laughs> libraries. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that, you know, desperate, desperate libraries. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sh- should you, should coronavirus take you away, people will look to this thing as, yeah. you know, who was he? I mean, I find that fucking frightening. I find that really frightening when I'm doing stand up about my family. Yeah. That there is such a responsibility to write the history in a way that's respectful to all those involved. (laughs) Can you tell us anything about like writing that and kind of I guess where I'm going with this is you speak so much about your family, your relationship Mm -hmm. and your failings within it yeah. that uh, I want I wanted to ask you about just just that and how how you do it in such a way that you're respectful to those involved and has there been a moment when someone got in touch well that that book you know you're hitting upon something I really struggled with to be honest with you because 
There's a lot of things that I had problems with. Is is that I wanted to be honest in the book, but at the same time, like you said, you don't want to. Obviously, my honesty comes from my viewpoint, mm. and so other people. It's not like this is one of a series of books where everybody involved has a right to reply, and they've got their own, you know. And I'm not even giving them a chapter, really, mm. not really at all. And so there was that worry. The main worry I had was how I was going to, how I talked about my dad, how I talked about people that I had relationships with and whether I could give uh, proper balance to the situation. And the truth is the first draft of that book, the publishers and uh, people that read it said that I was like, I was beating myself up way too much <laughs> for people to even relate to. And it's possible that that, you know, that it's possible that that wasn't the truth, that that was, I was just trying to do that to try and be even handed and maybe I overcompensated but that book went through a few drafts and exactly what you just said was said to me was that it's going to it's going to exist for a long time this so you know think carefully about what you say and so I've tried to be it, it was walking that line between being balanced and not upsetting anybody but at the same time being as honest as possible and uh, and with regards to um my growing up I double checked with my mum if my mum had said to me she didn't want any of that included, I would have taken it all out because mm. it's not fair. And so I checked with her and she felt okay about it. So that's why it, it that's why it went in. And, it, and that book is the first time I'd ever talked about all of that kind of side of things. So it wasn't as easy as me just writing it and putting it out. It, it, there was a struggle, not a struggle, struggles and exaggeration. <laughs> a lot of thought went into it. Yeah. You know, it, it wasn't just write it edit it put it out there was a lot of consideration that went into what line am i trying to walk with this book here because actually the truth is nobody's asking me to be particularly honest this is a pressure i'm putting on myself you know like it's not it doesn't have to be a watson or thing it could just be just a funny book about experiences i've had growing up you know so lots of plenty of people have written those books so there's no there's no sense that i had to write i had to set the record straight or anything like that so it's all coming from me so you have to take all those things into consideration so yeah. why did you then like just before we leave that subject what, yeah like i bet there was the temptation to go you know what i've got some really funny stories i'll just go with them yes there was a temptation to do that and probably i could have done a book of just really funny stories uh in my opinion really funny i mean I'm, i i would leave it up to the reader to, to make the final judgment but um i could have done that i suppose but um I don't know, man. I was trying to. I was trying to write a book. Where I, I basically I read books by the comedians, like Frank Skinner's first book I read, and amazing Steve Martin's book I read, and I read. I've read a lot of books about Richard Pryor, and I found it really useful, helpful, whatever, to read about how they got to be the person they eventually became. Mm. And I'm not saying I'm not putting myself in that bracket at all. Uh, by any stretch of the imagination but what i did think to myself was well this is in my opinion part of what shaped me so why not include it you know mm. and that's where that came from and there there are brutal things that i could have included that i didn't for the sake of uh, you know just being like, being kind to the reader basically you know like there's there's lots of horrible dark things you can go into that i didn't but just because i just didn't feel like it was right for this so i, I it was kind of somewhere in between I didn't want it to be just a fluffy series of funny anecdotes. I wanted it to be, I, I guess, give whoever read it an idea of how I came to arrive where I am, which is a, a deeply flawed person, you know, and, and hopefully the, the, when you read about what my upbringing was and all that stuff, it gives you can be a bit forgiving of that, I guess. Do you know what I mean? In, in, t in the same way that we all need to be of ourselves. Well, I guess it's in keeping with, you know, where I was going with this question and that the, you know, what you do on stage yeah. isn't just, and here's a funny thing that happened to me. Yeah. That a, a lot of it is revealing stuff yeah. that <laughs> others wouldn't reveal. Right. Uh, so that, you know, to laugh at your pain to feel that you're not alone, right? Yes. And if we were to yeah. dig into this a little bit, I know yeah. it, any kind of fucking over-the-top discussion of what stand-up really is, but it is kind of, uh, it kind of makes me want to turn off. But, you know, sure. we are talking about 
you know, men behaving better here. And yeah. one of the challenges I have and a lot of people will have is where to draw the line in terms of what to share, whether that's with your male friends. Like I always felt that one of the scariest things to me as a young man was that girls were so open with each other about oh God. how Absolutely. shit you were in bed or what. Oh my God. Fucking Absolutely. terrors. Terrifying. <laughs> Terrifying. And that, you know, any time a group of girls giggled and one of them was a girl that I kissed, <laughs> was just, you assumed the worst, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but um, guys don't really have that. Certainly the guys that I hang around with wouldn't, uh, all through my life, have never, you know, shared m massive uh, intimate details. No. Uh, and similarly, probably I have the same reluctance to share family details and mm. things from my life, whether past or present, out of respect for the people. Like, let's take the yeah. current show that I just finished Notions 11, I talk about my son lying and how he's started lying and yeah. finding something in his room that shouldn't be there and him claiming that it wasn't his <laughs> yeah. kind of feigning complete <laughs> ignorance to, I love you that. know, I what, love that. what Such were, a great strategy. yeah, and, and you know, the thing that I'd found were, you know, pants with skid marks in them. And I was like, well, you know, it raises more questions about you that, you know, these are not your pants. <laughs> like, why, <laughs> why would they be in your <laughs> You know, yeah. like it's automatically funny. Like, you're, yeah. I, like when it happens, as you know, you, you can work on a bit, but when yeah. a real bit presents itself and you're yes. actually in a bit, you're going, oh, this is this is happening in front of me right now. Yeah, absorb this into my memory. Yeah. Uh, I still struggle with whether it's right to even include that in the special when we edit it, because I think some point in the future, someone's going to go, hey, shitty pants. I saw your dad's special. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Do, yeah. do you wrestle with that as someone who has openly declared that one of his <laughs> kids is a fucking nightmare? <laughs> uh, yeah, I do. I, I mean... The whole thing is, it's like, you're assuming so much of the audience. And the whole idea of my stand-up, and the way I like to think of it is that if I'm talking about my kids or if I'm talking about my wife, I would always hope for two things. One, that you realise that I love all of these people. And two, that I am the biggest twat in all of these stories and all of these scenarios and the way that I'm reacting to my children is becoming is coming from a selfish place where I haven't become this completely altruistic mm. human as uh, purely as a result of having kids and I think that's something that's, that people can relate to it, with regards to wrestling with how much I've given away yeah I talk about it in my current show because exactly what you're talking about is what I worry about and I still talk about my kids and talk about the stories things that they've done but I also talk about how I feel about the response to me having talked about kids previously and my assumption that people knew I was sort of joking and exaggerating for comic effect and that not always being the case, you know, and people mm. sort of responding to that in a bad way. Yeah, I do worry about that. I, 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 I say worry is an exaggeration. I do think about it. I do think about it. It's not like I don't go... It's open season on you guys. I don't give a shit what I say. It's, it's certainly not that, even though that might be how it looks. I do think about it. And sometimes I think probably, I, 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 you know, I've been not too honest. I've assumed too much of the audience's understanding of where I'm coming from. Do you know what I mean? I, th I think possibly. Mm. It's, it's, a, it's a line that I continue to walk and, and try and figure out. And... and I don't know. It's like you, I read about Bill Burr. He had a story about his kid in his latest special, and he took it out because of these same concerns. And I think, well, fuck! I put out irrational with loads of shit. <laughs> like, oh my god! But they're old enough to watch it, though, right? Your kids have watched some of it, right? Yeah, they've seen some of it. I mean, they, they don't. The truth is, they don't really care. I mean, they just sort of think it's funny, and also they don't see. My son watches that now and sees that as a different person to who he is now because it mm. was however long ago. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like if my mum said to me now, I'll oh, promise you shit yourself when you're 15. Or 15's a bit late, isn't it? But, uh, <laughs> you know, she said, if you, 
you should tell the story about me shitting myself. I sort of go, yeah, that was Romesh then. You know, that's kind of how my kids see it. Do you mm. know what I mean? And, and well, they know. What about I'm- Lisa? Because you know, again, similarly, the discussion of kind of trying to be better. I mean, it's kind of what we're wrestling with here across yeah. the whole episode is that accepting that I'm not perfect. I'm not yeah. going to get it right all the time. Yeah. But in some ways, uh, as we've discussed in previous episodes, there can be too much acceptance of that among men, yes. particularly Irish guys uh, who know themselves listening to this, that, you know, they're kind of throwing your hands in the air going, oh, sure, women are a fucking mystery. There's no pleasing them at all. <laughs> and uh, kind of getting on and using that as, <laughs> as a get out of jail card for actually making any fucking effort whatsoever. Yeah. You've been really open about the yeah. relationship with Lisa and often you say that she she looks at you with disdain sometimes. <laughs> and, and like, that's really funny to me because I think every fella knows that look. Yes. And yeah. also I, I, what I kind of came to in my most recent show was that I actually need it. I actually need uh, someone to be a bit fucking mean to me. But equally, I was really reluctant to say where the line is on what I say about this and, and, and her. I was interested to ask you, what, what is the line in your, because clearly you've drawn a line that we can talk about these things. But there's, yeah. there's other stuff that's off limits. Yeah, yeah, there is stuff that's off limits. And the problem is, though, Jarv, as you know, is that sometimes when something happens or something occurs to you and you are almost embarrassed to talk about it or embarrassed to share it on stage, that is often where the funniest that's stuff the is. Stuff. Do, do, yeah. do, do you know what I mean? And, and that's what... That's what we're all trying to wrestle with. There's there's a bit in my current show where I talk about what's happened to Lisa in my sex life. And, you know, as as, as we know, we've been married for 10 years and the, the functionality of it. And and I remember when um, when I was... I go into, you know, detail... Not, you know, graphic detail. But I do go into detail about the nature of our sexual relationship. And I remember I, I, I was doing that, that material when it first occurred to me I remember I was doing a, there's a theatre just down the road from where I live and I, and I, I booked the studio theatre in there every few months and try out the new stuff for the tour. I basically wrote the show in that room. Mm. And um, I remember the, one of the nights then I was trying that material out for the first time, Lisa came to watch because we're going, we were going for, um, we're going for dinner with this other couple. So this couple said, oh, we'd love to come and watch you try out your stuff and then we'll go for dinner after. So I was like, yeah, of course. So Lisa came to watch with them. She popped in backstage and I said, oh, God, I probably should warn you. There's a, there's a bit, it's quite a long bit that I haven't really figured out yet about our sex life. And she goes, oh, cool. Well, I'll let you know what I think. And then she's completely nonplussed by all of this. But I, I started talking about it and I hadn't found the funny in it. So I'm just sort of riffing about it and whatever. And I leant forward, you know, and, and suddenly the light, I suddenly see my wife, see Lisa in the light. And she looks completely unfazed. But the couple that we're about, they're going to have dinner with later look absolutely <laughs> fucking horrified by what I'm divulging about our relationship. Do you know what I mean? It was like, it yeah. was horrendous. And, but the thing is, is, you know, Lisa's pretty chilled out, but I don't want to take the piss. I, I, I can't, it's the thing of like, she's very understanding. I don't want to push the, that understanding too far do you know what I mean and, and and when it comes to me talking about her on stage with regards to her, uh, at home I've managed to get myself to a point now where I detach myself from any criticism she has of me because I know I need it mm. do you know what I mean so like if she calls me on some bullshit if I'm being inconsiderate or if I'm if I'm being a fucking mess which I tend to be and she picks me up on it I used to be the sort of guy that'd react to that and we'd have an argument. Now I'm not. I'm just like, okay, fuck. Uh, I, you know, I, I just basically realised that because my default setting is, and, and it's not good enough to go, that's just how I am. That's just how I am. Mm. That's not good enough. You're being inconsiderate. And I am guilty of being inconsiderate much more than I would like. And so the very least I can do, and I'm, when I say very least, Jonathan, I mean the absolute very, very least I can do is that when she points it out to me to not fucking kick back and right. be like, 
and be offended by that or be upset by that because I feel like it's an attack on me. It's I've been I've been accidentally been a prick there. I've not done this or I've not helped out here or I've 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 let the kids stay up too late, and I have to accept that that was a shitty thing to do because I'm not the one that's going to be dealing with it in the morning. Do you know what I mean? So it's all those little it's all those things where in the past I think I would have been or a different me would have been like, fucking hell, just can't, you know, you can't win. Do you know what I mean? At least I put them to bed. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, we're getting to uh, what I was really keen to talk to you about, yeah. uh, because, again, you're very open about the conflict, not pretending that it's perfect. Now, I know that comedy wives are a unique <laughs> type of being. Uh, yeah. In that my wife is the same way that she she's like, say whatever you're going to say. Just be funny. Yeah. Just make sure it's funny. Like, yes, uh, yeah. and it's like if it's not funny, don't 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 waste your time yeah. doing it. And yeah. she's completely open about m- me talking about whatever I want and understanding that that is what she signed up for. But that's not to say that, you know, we have consistent hotspots and arguments that I find myself in again and again. And, you know, Mm. what you've identified there is a behavior that a lot of fellas could improve on and Mm. myself included that like, so if she's calling you out on something, she's saying, I don't like that. The first response is to go, leave me alone. Number one, (laughs) get off my case. I've got enough shit to be dealing with without it's you. It's like we're all, we all, we all behave like we're war heroes. It's insane. <laughs> Can you just let me go on with what I'm doing, this important thing I'm doing? Please? I'm trying to save lives over here. <laughs> and, you know, just to, just to kind of move past that first reaction to, okay, well, obviously this has upset her. And yeah. I, I, I need to listen to that on that level alone. And maybe later on we'll get to... And by the way, I'm fucking working through an awful lot of stuff at the moment, so maybe you need to take that on board. Yeah, mate, but mate, I, t- I totally agree with that. I, I, I think that, you know, a lot of that... And by the way, I'm talking to you like I'm perfect at doing that. I'm not. I'm not. I do exactly that, and I react, and I kick back sometimes, and I know I shouldn't almost immediately. Mm. And it's about, like, it's ego, that. Do you know what I mean? And it's it's very it's human nature to go to go the offense is your best defense you know somebody comes at you you just go well fucking i'm just trying to do this shit it'd be quite good if i'd just be left alone to concentrate on this do you know what i mean it's like that's your instant reaction to try and make yourself the wounded party and it it comes from like you know when i was doing teacher training they would say they would they told us that kids would respond so much better if you explain to them if you talk to them like it was their behavior that was causing the problem and not them yeah they would yeah. react to it in such a different way and i'm not suggesting that your wife needs to talk to you like that but that is what she's saying that is what your other half is saying when they pick you up for something they're not saying you're a piece of they're not saying you're a prick <laughs> or you're a piece of shit they're saying this thing that you have done i'm not asking what the reason is that you've done it i'm not questioning it but it's happened is annoying mm or is upsetting or is causing me difficulty, you've got to be able to, before you speak, just go, okay, well, obviously that is annoying. It's all about, I mean, it's such a cliche, but it's about putting yourself in the other person in the other person's place. But that is easier said than done. Yeah, because cause the, the, by and large, I think a, because effort is such a problem for boys and men, that actually getting your boy your kid to make an effort you really see that this is a lingering problem through yeah. men is oh, that like 100%. i feel like i deserve a lot of praise for trying <laughs> <laughs> have you seen that have you seen that compliments video no that song where this is this song about this guy going around doing menial tasks and just waiting to be praised for it just wondering, yeah. just getting angry that he's not being complimented for what he's done. But I am, a, I, like, I am a praise addict. And, you know, all comics kind of are, uh, yeah. whether they choose to admit it or not. If yeah. you were happy with the applause and the laughter that you got the previous 10 times, you wouldn't bother your bollocks going out again. <laughs> but you need more. You need more. And yeah, yeah. You, you crave more. And I find a lot of the uh, 
arguments that I will get in is that I I will think that 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 I'm the great lad that I think I'm I'm brilliant for having done something without yes. actually reflecting is, it, is that the best place to put your effort at this moment in time the things that come up in you, your stand up that you've raised a lot of the time are about her her and you uh, being at home with the relationship not being perfect yes but like you said, you love her deeply. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, that doesn't make for great comedy, though, right? That 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 stuff about how much you love your wife <laughs> isn't, you know, it isn't the stuff of of punchlines. I guess where I'm going with this is, yeah. Does it sometimes feel like you're you need to have a certain amount of conflict in there? To, to generate stuff. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I often think somebody's asked somebody. You often think to yourself, if this, if we weren't, if we didn't have any conflict or disagreement in this, would I have to take up a hobby or something to generate material? I don't know what would happen. I don't know what happened. Do you know what I mean? But mm. I don't know. I, I, I've watched a lot of comedy where, and you know, you talk about older fashioned stand up comedy where they talk about their wives and. I sometimes I'd watch it and I think it sounds like you really fucking hate your wife and I mm. don't want to be that and, and I hope I don't come across as that I mean I do so I mean I explicitly say talk about how much I love my wife on stage and I, I do say those words I love her to bits but the the reason that I say that probably <laughs> is probably because <laughs> you're me. about to go somewhere else with it yeah, <laughs> yeah but it, you've said before that you know it's a really vacuous job and it is, and I don't deny that either. I think that there's great byproducts to it and yeah. that it's essential. And I think probably right now as countries go into lockdown, it's really tough for comics in the sense, I know that we don't have, the, have it the worst, but it is tough for anyone in an industry that is considered a luxury item yeah. uh, to know, well, that can go in the fucking bin right away. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> that is a hard pill to swallow. But I think sometimes when you have a wife that's as brutally honest as ours are, yeah, uh, that the context and framework of what it is you do is framed a lot of the time. Owen Colfer was on the podcast, the other podcast recently, and he yeah. said he wrote Artemis Fowl and he said he told a story about um, really fretting over this mythical beast that he'd written into the next chapter and really worrying about this kind of dragon like thing and being in the kitchen in a bit of a huff over it. And eventually his wife saying, what? What the fuck's wrong? Just say it. And he told her about the mythical beast and how his concerns were this, this and this and and she looked him dead in the eyes and said, well, I have to go and pick up the kids. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, it ties into what we're saying here in that uh, I find it really hard to kind of prioritize this stupid thing that we do. And these things that are not necessarily, everyone listening to this isn't a comic, but it's really hard to kind of prioritize anything that's silly, but for you in the face of all the responsibilities that come with being a dad and a husband. Do you know what I'm saying with that? I may 100% know what you're saying. I totally get it. And and I feel ridiculous. Yesterday, I did like a I did a Facebook Live, which I'm going to do in a bit. And it was just content wise i would describe it as low quality right but it was you know I, I wasn't bringing a lot to the table but it was still good to do and uh lisa came back she went she went you done your little facebook live <laughs> but you know what the, pro the problem is though is that in the thing is we do do silly things but you have to take those silly things seriously for them to be good. You know, and what ends up happening is you switch into this alternate way of talking where you can have a half an hour conversation about whether it's funnier to say Cocoa Pops or Frosties 
like it's the end of the world mm-hmm. because it's so important to you to squeeze that bit of extra funny out, you know? And you, I can totally understand why sometimes if Lisa hears me having a phone call, like a phone call with like a, a writer or a mate or somebody I'm working with something on, she go, that's, oh, wow, that sounded essential. That chat, that, that sounded absolutely vital. <laughs> I'm so glad I had to put the boys to bed so that you could discuss how many fucks you should put in that first scene. <laughs> Yeah, it is a it's a strange old game. Uh, I I don't understand how you get as much done. First of all, as so many people now describe you as ubiquitous, which is a weird yes. <laughs> sentence <laughs> to to say, and must be weirder to be the subject of it because you seem to never stop, and like. That balance that you mentioned earlier, you said I've addressed yeah. it. So am yeah. I right in saying that it was a problem? Because there's absolutely no way that you can do all of these things that you've done in the last four years. Like it's quite a short window of time when it yeah. uh, when it obviously got frantically busy for you. Yeah. Uh, but you've addressed it. Can you tell us anything about recognizing first the balance was wrong and then addressing it? Because, look, that's a, that's that's a universal yeah, well, it's a difficult one because, as you you know, you know as well as anybody that when you're trying to get somewhere in this industry, you, you, you're trying to you're you've got your your irons in you've got a lot of irons in different fire. I've pushed that too far, but anyway, the point I'm trying to make is Pat on the boil. Get, yes, there you go. And you're trying to you're trying to get stuff away, and you're trying to make stuff, and you've got ideas and things like that. And it's all about trying to make the most of those opportunities and et cetera, et cetera. But the problem, not the problem, when I recognized it, to be honest with you, is I was doing, you know, because I do the travel shows and I went through a phase of doing a lot of, I was just doing stuff and trying to fit it into the diary. And I was like, okay, I've got a bit of free time there. Put it in there. I can do it then. And that was all fine. I guess I, I, I don't ever, I don't really feel stressed with regards to work, partly because of what we talked about, about it being sort of a bit silly. And so I never really think anything's too important. So I don't get stressed work wise, but I remember coming back from a trip and I was about to go on another one. And I remember thinking to myself, this is really, I, I, I sort of had to, I had a really brief amount of time with, with Lisa and the kids. And I actually, it sort of occurred to me, this is not, I, I, I need to um, do something about this because the kid, I, I just don't feel like, what the fuck am I doing this for? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, what yeah. is it? What's the point? I'm not, mo- I'm not money motivated particularly. You know, I want to be comfortable, but I don't really give a shit about, about earning loads of money or having, you know, so, but I'm doing it. And I thought to myself, well, I'm doing this because I want to provide a, a comfortable, lifestyle for my wife and kids but what's the point of that if i'm not here mm. do you mean or if i'm so immersed in my work that i'm not here even when i am here do you mm. know what i mean I, I remember like i've been i've been at home working on scripts and shit and 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 that's fine don't i mean i'm sound ungrateful i'm not ungrateful at all it's just that you sort of think about the the uh, the balance of that and you think i need to figure this out and so i basically looked at working my diary so that one i coordinate with lisa when my downtimes are and when i'm going to be about obviously coronavirus notwithstanding and then also when i am back to properly plan and have things for us to look forward to as a family together and make the most of the time that i do have at home and and just sort of plan it a bit more i was more sort of hurtling through it going okay well i can do this and that sounds like fun i'll do that i'll do that Whereas now I'm, I'm, my diary is put together a bit more by design rather than by accident, you know, and, and certain things. And also the other thing is, is just going, sometimes just going, I think actually I'm going to say no to these things for a month or so and just be at home, you know, yeah. and, and I'm lucky enough to be in a position where I can do that. So why not do that? You know, just because it's, it's a blessing, it doesn't mean you shouldn't take it, you know. So I think that... Um, it's that it's being a bit more conscious about how my months come together than I have been in the past. I think I was a bit 
it, that's the kind of negligence I talk about. You know, that that's a form of negligence. And you sort of, you can try and forgive yourself by going, well, you know, I'm busy. I'm just trying to make things work. But actually, it's not good enough. You know, why are we doing all of this? What's the end game here? I, I don't know what your end game is. My, my idea is I want to be as happy and as contented as I can. And I'm never happier than I'm with than I am when I'm with my family. So I've got to try and make that work. Do you know what I mean? And, yeah. and, and, and be a, a better father and, and husband. And so, you know, that's something I've become increasingly conscious of. Man, it's been a great chat, Ramesh. Thank you so much for doing it. It's a good place no to finish it. On behalf of everybody who listens to this, thanks for taking the time and we'll see you soon. See you soon, mate. Take care. So that's it. I want to give a quick shout to another episode that you may enjoy if you enjoyed this one. Over on the Irishman Abroad feed, we have Enda McNulty, who is a performance coach for the Irish rugby team for many, many years. He also works with companies like Facebook, Google, Microsoft to enhance the performance of their staff, their CEOs. He's worked with hundreds of thousands of people. And during this really difficult time, he has the best possible advice on his specialist subject, which is surviving and thriving in adversity. So here is a little clip of some of what he gets into over there. We are all in this together. And I hope that on this very positive podcast today, Jarnif, I hope we can make two or three practical suggestions that will help people stay healthier and if for some reason they're unfortunate enough to be infected by the virus, that they're able to manage that, that they're able to stay resilient in that difficult time and find a way through the adversity. I think the starting place is facing the truth. The WHO has now very firmly announced this as a global pandemic. That's Enda McNulty, the performance coach for the Irish rugby team for many years and the head of McNulty Performance. He is my guest over on Irishman Abroad. So maybe if you like the Ramish episode and you are interested in how the hell can I improve and survive in the current situation, that's a good episode to go and seek out. If you want access to all the Irishman Abroad episodes, literally everything we've ever produced, including our bonus series, Irishman Behind Bars, which is a true crime series I'm very proud of. And, you know, the entire back catalogue, it's easy. Sign up patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad and you can get the full extended cut of this conversation with Ramesh, including a long conversation about his travels around the world and seeing misogyny in different places and the question of whether you can call it out in those circumstances. I really enjoyed that chat. There's also a basketball chat in there. If you're interested in the NBA, you'll have a bit of fun with that. And there's also a joke that I throw in there, which Ramesh doesn't even recognize as a joke. It's nearly worth subscribing for that alone, to watch me attempt to make a joke and Ramesh to completely blanket, completely like stone cold. One of, you know, when your face goes red after you do a joke and the person doesn't even acknowledge it as a joke. I don't think he did it meanly, but it was among the most embarrassing moments I've ever had on a podcast after hundreds and hundreds of hours of doing this. It's worth subscribing just for that. Patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. But subscribe to Men Behaving Better at the very least and come with us uh, for the next episode of the show when it goes out. My thanks to Brian Connolly for his production, Tina and Mikey for making it all possible and to you guys for listening to Ramesh, of course, for taking the time to do it. We'll see you next time.
record, death with the record, thinking of a master plan. Death with the record, death with the record, thinking of a master plan. This ain't nothing but sweat inside my hand. So I dig into my pocket, all my money spent. So I get deep up, still coming up with lint. So I start my mission, leave my residence. Thinking how could I get some dead presidents? I need money. I used to be a stick-up kid. So I think of all the devious things I did. I used to roll up, roll up, roll up. I used to roll up, roll up.